Welcome to the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Look to the folks at Farm Bureau Health Plans when you need someone who understands the X's and O's of health care coverage. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. I'm Amy Wells. Thank you so much for joining us today. Coach Mac is, of course, here. Mac, how are you? Doing great. Just got back from practice. Uh, nice weather. A little brisk in the air, but the sun's out. It was very good. Sun makes all the difference in the all world. All the difference in the world. Wednesday, it was cloudy and cold. Thursday, it was sunny and cold. The sun was a game changer. Sun was a game changer. And I enjoyed being out there. And now I'm enjoying being here for the Titans Amy Coach Mac podcast. Well, Mac, I don't even know how to say it. This has been a week. You, you know, this has really been just a lot of activity in a short amount of time. The Titans are 6-2, and two, which is great news. We're very excited about that. They're number one in the division. As of today, they are number one in the AFC overall. Fantastic news for the Tennessee Titans. They're in a great place. But, Mac, I think the only way to qualify this week is a roller coaster ride. Well, I think you're right. I mean, that that game up there at Indianapolis was really a bizarre game. I it mean, was exhausting. It, it was it was exhausting, and it was a bizarre game because the magnitude of the game for both teams was evident all week. You know, we, we both sides knew exactly what was going to go on in that game. First of all, it was going to be a heavyweight fight right in the middle of the ring for the entire for the entire go, and then to come out and go fourteen to zero down immediately would be like getting knocked down twice in the first two rounds. But you had to get back up off the mat and had to keep fighting. And and as the back and forth of that game went on, it got more tense and more tense and more tense. And then to take it up the tense meter, uh, clear out the top, it goes to overtime. Of course. It goes to overtime. And, you know, when you think with a minute and 28 seconds left after you've made a great play on a failed screen down there in the goal line and Elijah Molden picks one off, very alert, you know, with, with great effort by, you know, uh, Bud Dupree, you know, playing like Spider-Man, rolling on the ground and jumping up and, and, and Danico Autry in the front putting pressure. And you were feeling really good. And then all of a sudden you throw a combat catch down the middle of the field and Michael Pittman Jr. goes up among about eight hands and pulls it down. And then here we go. And so it it was exhausting. And it was it was a thrilling ball game if you were a, a spectator. But And it was also a very physical game. And it ended up, you know, the win was big for the Titans. You know, this last month has been really huge for the Titans. Four AFC wins in a row, four legitimate AFC wins in a row that uh, have, have put this team in great shape. And we had, the, we had the one black cloud that came over that game, you know, after we all got the news Monday about, uh, you know, Derrick Henry. I'll tell you what, the last, what, three, four minutes that you've been talking described Sunday. And then we have Monday where we find out about Derrick mm -hmm. Henry and there's all the concern about what does this mean? How is this going to look in the Titans offense? Then we have Tuesday when we find out the Tennessee Titans have signed Adrian Peterson. We don't even get people back on the field until Wednesday because that is the typical first day of practice. Coach Mack, it is Thursday and I need a nap. Well, can we say this, though? Uh, this, uh, this, this job that we have, uh, I've been in this league longer than you've been alive, but this job that we have is never dull. 
No, never dull. Never dull. Never dull. And you know, let's go. Let's go back to the to the Derrick Henry thing. First of all, how many times have we said? We say it on this podcast, and and I, I say it on every broadcast I'm on. I've heard you say it before. The chances of getting hurt in this league are 100. percent You just hope that you're able to dodge that. You know, and especially dodge that from your premier players. Well, we didn't dodge this one. So what has to happen is is and. You're right. All of a sudden now, Adrian Peterson is in here, who is an immediate Hall of Famer. He's in here now. And so, and really, uh, Amy, the Titans were a little bit of an anomaly in the National Football League to begin with. Most teams right now don't have one lead horse as a back. We had an extreme war horse, you know, in Derrick Henry. He was he was different than everybody else. Everybody else does it by committee. Well, that's what we are going to do now is by committee. And the question was asked, and you said it very well, what are we going to do now offensively? We're going to do the same thing. We're just going to do it with different people in the run aspect of it. And we're going to do it with multiple people because there is no one singular Derrick Henry out there anymore. There are eight may not be another one for another 10 years but and and so we'll do it with a with a group of people but the design of the offense won't change and schematically defensively what will change maybe and I'm interested to watch this and you are too when we go to LA how are they going to deploy people now against our run our run game on conflict downs which are first and second downs with the people we have now with the potential to carry the ball Mac you're a head coach former head coach and Mike Vrabel has had a lot of emotional highs and lows over the last three or four days to manage within himself within his coaching staff within this team within the fan base there has been a lot of conversation about the Tennessee Titans in full swings from this team is unstoppable they're going to win the Super Bowl to this team can't do anything without Derrick Henry there's a wide range of emotions happening right now as a head coach how do you manage that how do you deal with that within your team None of that outside noise makes any difference at all, first of all, to begin with. I mean, all of that outside noise is like elevator music. You know, it's like when you step on the elevator, you hear it, and then when you step off, you don't hear it, and it has nothing to do with the elevator going up and down. Well, that's the way all of this conversation is, and and the conversation is just that. I mean, but it's what keeps the National Football League in such an interest, you know, to people out and around, but Inside the confines, you know, of St. Thomas Sports Park and inside the confines of those meeting rooms, that's not the message at all. The message is, you know, Derek's gone for a little while. We've got to bring everybody, coalesce everybody together and move forward, and here's how we're going to do it. That's the only message. And, and Mike Vrabel has done a – and his staff and these players, let's just – acknowledge what a great job they have done to this point in this season because we're talking about one injury that happened on Sunday. This team has had multiple injuries all year, all year, multiple injuries to multiple personnel groups, multiple injuries to multiple individual groups. And so Mike Vrabel and his staff and these players have been juggling this the whole time. This is just another one in a series of many. So their thought process, their line of thinking, their mindset is the same that it's been throughout all of this process, and that will continue to be. In some respects, this team is very well suited to handle this sort of a disruption, I guess you could say, because they have been dealing with injuries since training camp. That's correct. No, and, and 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 it has to start at the top, and it starts with the with with the with the vibe and the mindset that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel 
portray, and then it's carried into the locker room. And so it's this team is very – there are two things that you can say about this football team, and you can say it because you've got physical evidence of it. They are very mentally and physically tough. And that is what's carrying them through this right now, and it's going to continue to carry them. And the, you know, the for the rest of this for the rest of this season, there's still going to be obstacles to overcome. But because of the the especially the four AFC wins that they have stacked in the last month, they're in good shape. They're in good shape. So you need to start thinking about AFC now, because you start thinking about AFC, you're talking about what it takes to get into the tournament. That's what the long range plan is. The short-range plan is getting getting a group together and going in and seeing what we can do against the Rams. So let's talk about the Rams yeah, a little do. bit. Here, here they come. We're heading to sunny Los Angeles to play the Los Angeles Rams this Sunday on Sunday Night Football. Let's talk about Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is living his best life in 2021. He's so happy. This guy went from losing a lot in Detroit to being 7-1 and one in L.A., surrounded by a variety of offensive weapons. Why is Matthew Stafford thriving so much in L.A.? Well, first of all, he's an elite talent. He has been since he was chosen in the first round, you know, when he, when he, when he, when he came out in the draft. He's an elite talent. He was just with bad people. I mean, that's just, that's just you know, sometimes – and that's what happens sometimes. Elite quarterbacks that are taken early, you go early to a team that's not good. Well, the team never got good while he was there through a multi- multiplicity of factors and through multiple head coaches. They just never got good, you know, and he's always been a talented quarterback and he's always been a very physically tough quarterback and a good quarterback. It's just that when you're losing ball games and you're always at the bottom of your, of your division, you're always at the bottom of your conference – you know, you're not going to garner not only any any attention, but people are just going to say, you know, it's really sad that he's that good on a bad team. Well, all of a sudden he lands in California and the, and the sun's shining, and, I mean, he's living his best life. I mean, he's – I know when he landed at LAX, he thought this is heaven because <laughs> it is for him now. First of all, you know, with Sean McVay, with, with the, the Rams that have put together a, a really good football team, he's got great weather, he's got an offensive coach that is that, that, that thinks the same way he does, and he's operating this offense at a very high level. I mean, there's no reason he should not be happy. And he's not in Detroit anymore. Well, I've been. Look, I, I don't. I'm not bagging on Detroit, but you I've, just have to think about the weather alone. Well, I've lived in L.A. and I mean, I, Detroit has water around it too, but it's not the Pacific Ocean. It's cold water. Well, it's, it's very icy cold, water. Very cold. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, he's he's got a good football team. He's got a great head coach for what he wants to do, and uh, why wouldn't he be happy? Cooper Cup is one of the best receivers in football right now, and he's not even the only reason that the Rams are having so much success. Who are some of the other weapons that are helping that offense be so successful? Well, their offensive line is good. Andrew Whitworth, you know, the left tackle, has been playing for 37 years in the league. I mean, he, he, I mean, he is. <laughs> I mean, he's amazing. You know, he's, since he came out of LSU, you know, went to Cincinnati as the number one pick, and he's, I mean, he's amazing. He really is. Their offensive line is good. Tyler Higby, their tight end, you know, we drafted him on the staff I was on when I was at the Rams. So he's out there. He's a really good player. He's from Western Kentucky. He's a really, really good player. Robert Woods is an excellent, excellent 
uh, receiver. And then plus the, the, the offense that they run, I mean, the offense that they run is so conducive to receivers being able to be successful. And plus you have a quarterback, Amy, that does something that is, that is, that is very, very, that does something that is very, very essential in this offense. You throw the receivers open. You don't wait to throw when they're open. You throw them open. That's why their run after catch is so high up there in the league. Defensively, Aaron Donald, who comes screaming off the page every time you look at any sort of Rams roster depth chart, you see Aaron Donald's name first, I think. How is it possible that he is so good after so many years? Well, we drafted him when I was there, and, and you know, and – our defensive line coach at the time was a guy named Mike Mike Waffle, who's a very accomplished defensive line coach in this league. You know, multiple Super Bowl winner. Uh, you know, he loved him. And the thing about Aaron Donald coming out of Pittsburgh, he was a really great player. Uh, but he, you know, he's short, and 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 people were saying, "Well, will we be able?" So when he was there at the 13th pick, we jumped on him in in, in that draft, and uh, he's phenomenal. And and when you watch him prepare and you watch him work, his work ethic is second to none, and and his attention to detail. But and plus, he is just he is physically a freak because he is so strong and so quick, and and, and he's so violent. Uh, great player. He's really a great player. And, uh, I mean, he's a walk into the Hall of Fame five years after he retires uh, because his game has done nothing but accelerate since he's gotten into the league. He gets all the attention now. He still is, he still, he still is able to fight through people. He's still able to do some things that are very, very unique, and he draws your attention very quick. And so they weren't getting enough attention with a great player, so they went out and traded for Von Miller. You know, they, 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 they bring him in off the edge. They've got uh, – They've got some good players put together on this team, believe me. Defensively, they're really fast. They're fast, and they're a disruptive defense. They really are. Uh, they've got the best cover corner in the league in Jalen Ramsey. He is the absolute best. Uh, he's a true lockdown corner in this league. That, that moniker gets thrown around a lot, and it gets thrown around, around a lot in this league inappropriately. I've had a lockdown corner in my career in Aeneas Williams. He's in the Hall of Fame because of that. This guy is the same way. This guy can shut down the best receiver on any team. He will match with the best receivers. He plays inside, outside, extremely talented. So they've got, I mean, they've got top flight people at all three levels, and that's what makes your defense good and sometimes great. Mac, they even have a good punter. Well, yeah, they do. Johnny Hecker is, is one of the best and one of my favorite people. Uh, we brought him in as a free agent when I was there. And, 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 you know, he and Greg the Leg were two rookie kickers that we used immediately, and they both had long, long careers in this league. Johnny Hecker, Johnny Hecker and, and uh, Brett Kern are the two best directional punters in the league, and they will be going against each other at SoFi on Sunday night. You want to talk about another one of your most favorite people, I think? James Laurinaitis. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. One of, and you know, it, we're talking about the Rams, and so for four years at the Rams, uh, was with James. And I was the assistant head coach. Uh, he was our leader. He and Chris Long, uh, you know, were were and, and Roger Saffold, and then Stephen Jackson were the four guys that we kind of leaned on when we first went in there. Uh, James Laurinaitis is the absolute best. He's a he's he was a really good football player, one of the smartest linebackers I've ever been around in my life, and I've been around a lot of smart ones. But I mean, he's got such a unique story, and and you know such a unique upbringing. I mean, you know, he's the son of the most famous tag team wrestler, you know, the animal, you know, in in you know Joe Laurinaitis, uh, the Road Warriors 
in the history of wrestling. And I've, I, I met his dad, God rest his soul, you know, uh, before he passed away. He was always there at all of our practices. And James Laurinaitis is a unique individual. And, and being able to visit with him, to have you visit with him, and just to listen to him, you'll find out why he is so special right now. So James threw me for a loop immediately as we started this conversation. So I'm just going to let you guys hear for yourself. Check it out, our conversation with James Laurinaitis. Mac, this is going to be awesome. James Laurinaitis is our guest right now. You know he was drafted by the St. Louis Rams in 2009, spent seven seasons there. Then he finished his career in New Orleans with the Saints. He retired in 2017, and now he serves as an analyst on Big Ten Network. But he's so much more than that, Mac. So excited to have him on the show. You know, I mean, it goes without saying that, uh, you know, in my career, I've really been fortunate. You know, I started out as a linebacker coach, and so I've got an affinity for those guys. But I really have a real place in my heart for good, great linebackers that are really good people. James Laurinaitis fits all of those bills. You know, when we went in there and, and we went into, into St. Louis, and they'd had a rough patch before Jeff Fisher came in there to take over. But James Laurinaitis, he was such a stand-up dude when we went in there. And everywhere he's ever, ever been as a player, he's been a captain. He's been a signal caller on defense. And as I said, I started out my career with a Hall of Famer in Mike Singletary. And James Laurinaitis fits all of that bill with me. And he, he's one of my all-time favorites, not only because of the player he was, but just what he meant to the locker room. And then you talk about a, a, a wonderful human being in the, in the community, none better than James Laurinaitis. I appreciate that, Mac Daddy. It's always good to be with you, man. You know, you know what I miss the most about the St. Louis days, to be honest with you? I miss, I miss going up to upstairs to where the coach's wing was. And I miss smelling your office because you always had the best burning candles, man. You had the best burning woodwick candles. And uh, I miss popping in there and just talking ball. And, um, man, we had fun, didn't we? You know what, James? We had so much fun. And now I've got, I've got my two compatriots here. They're raising their hand on the – hey, the woodwicks, how cool were they? And I started <laughs> – I, I, was, I, I was like a drug dealer with the woodwicks. Well, why I've, did you bring them here, Matt? I've, I finally had them. James, you, you brought this up. That's why this podcast is so great. Look, I had those woodwicks, and they were so good, and people would come from all over the building. Coach Mack, that's wonderful. I said – Okay, because I had a hookup with Woodwick, and I said, okay, I said, okay, here's what we'll do. I used to have them. James, you remember when I'd get the, when I would get the deliveries? I'd have them stacked up on a shelf. It looked like a Bed Bath and Beyond, and people would, <laughs> people would come in there and say, Mac, how about this one? I said, take it. And they said, how about this one? I said, take it. Now, you, the Woodwicks were solid, weren't they? Oh, uh, they're incredible. They're incredible. And and I tell you what, the amount of Woodwicks that I ordered. Because <laughs> I want to smell in your office. It was incredible. I was like, oh, that smells good. See, and that's and, what uh, that's what people never expected to hear on this Titans Amy Coach Mac podcast with a, a tremendous National Football League player that's got so much history. And, of course, me, a lifetime coach, and we're talking about Woodwick Candles. That's what you get when you – when you tune into this. I have so much right. stuff prepared, but now that I have learned that Mac is a candle dealer on the side, this <laughs> entire thing has changed. Like, I don't even know how to behave right now. I'm losing my mind. I really was going to ask you, James, about playing for Coach Mac and what that experience was like, what he's like as a coach, because we never get to see him in full-on coach mode. We just get, you know, analyst Mac. So beyond, I mean, just slinging candles and taking names, like what was it like working with Mac consistently? Well, it was awesome because, as he mentioned, his history in the National Football League goes so far back. And 
when you talk about a guy who is working around one of the greatest defenses, if not the greatest defense in National Football League history, and then you're able to pull that same wisdom. Uh, when he was with the Rams, you know, being assistant head coach, I mean, whoever we had at linebacker coach, I mean, whether it was Blake Williams one year and then we have Frank Bush, uh, you, you get so many ideas bouncing around that I always treated Coach Mack as like some kind of godfather. You know what I mean? A guy that you could go and just, if you had frustrations, you could vent to him. If you had a way about, hey, how do you see it? You really valued his opinion because he's just been around so much football. And as Mac knows, I was a guy that I was never going to be the fastest on the field. I was never going to be the most athletic. So I had to try to hang on to my career by the preparation and, and being in the right places at the right time, being dependable, being able to be a coach on the field. And, and Mac was just a just a, a whole bunch of wisdom sitting there ready to be tapped into. And so just knowledgeable and always willing to help in any way possible. You had to be careful, though, because he'll, I mean, he'll hit you with the prank every now and again. And he's always good for whatever you were in the whatever you were in kind of like a little rut. Right. When you were losing some games, if you needed to pick me up, you just go to Coach Mac's office and he's got a story for you that will make you laugh and, and you'll be well on your way. So. He did. A, he had, we wore many hats for us, but I always enjoyed our conversations just about linebacker play and ball. Yeah, and and I can second that. Just because when I, look, I've been in this long enough. I know when someone's real or not, and 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 I, I gravitated to you immediately. Talk to us a little bit about the about the Rams and and it's it, your career. And again, as I said, usually when you're when you're a, when you're a high pick, you know you're going to go to a team that is just that's just the way the National Football League draft is is aligned. Is, is that you're going to go to a team that has not had much success early on. The thing that impressed me, James, not only about you, but about you know some of the guys that you were there with that, that were the cornerstones, uh, talk to me a little bit just about your mindset and what and what kept you as far as just on on point, even when the games early on, when you were young, were not as successful as you want. And 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna tie this in and and, and God you know and God rest his soul in, in your father Joe. Talk to me about a little bit of what he instilled with you with a work ethic that really came through to me. Yeah, man, I tell you what, my dad, and this probably started, so my dad was old school in the sense he didn't believe in training, lifting weights until you were in high school. It's funny because everyone assumes that because my dad was a pro wrestler and he was 320 pounds at his biggest, my dad was only 6'1", so 320, back in the 80s, you know what that is, right? That's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot, it's hard work, but it's also the 80s, right? Yeah, so that's, a lot, that's a lot of help. That's a lot of help, so, but he was, I remember him just crushing the gym and everyone assumes, oh, I'm sure your dad had you in the weight room you know, from, from the time of being like an infant. I'm like, no, my dad never wanted me. He believed that if you worked out too soon, you would stunt your growth. And he wanted us all, you know, all three of us, all three kids to fully develop. And so I remember going in and there'd be days my freshman year, I still remember it, Mac, where I would not feel like going to the gym with him because when you're first starting to work out, like it's defeating, like you, especially his gym that he was training at. And he got a bunch of meatballs and I'm in here trying to just get like, <laughs> you know, I got a 45 pound bar, maybe put some tens on it. You know, I'm trying to lift and like, I felt so defeated. And my dad, whenever I wouldn't want to work out, he'd always say to me, okay, that's fine. You keep telling me you want to get a scholarship to play at Minnesota, which at that time, that, that was my only dream. I was a Minnesota kid. I just wanted to play for the Gophers. Right. That was it. Like there was nothing like Ohio state was so far fetched. Like I didn't even know, uh, to be honest, at that point in my life, I didn't even know Ohio State and Michigan were rivals, to be honest. Like, I just, I was so, I could name you every rival of the Gophers. I could name you all the trophy <laughs> games. That's so great. Um, and so I, I was just like, 
anyway, whenever I want to sleep in, my dad always be like, okay, there's a kid at Minnetonka who's uh, working out right now. Like, you want to sit here and play video games. Or, there's a kid at Armstrong working out right now. And then I'd get up and go work out. And then it, I found this quote when I was in high school that I never I, – I printed it out in our school colors, put it on the wall, and it was today's preparation determines tomorrow's success. And I kept, I kept that in my bedroom because there were kids in my high school team way more athletic, way more talented. But I just felt like I didn't want the things that didn't require, you know, talent. I wanted to excel at. So what's your attitude? What is your work ethic? Do you just do you just hustle to the ball? You know, are you infectious to be around? Are, you know, little things like that. Film study. And then I was fortunate to have a really good defensive coordinator growing up, Matt Lombardi, who's now the head coach at Maple Grove up in Minnesota, who helped me uh, learn how to watch tape. And man, and then once Ohio State came around, I was just like, sure, I'll be a Buckeye. You know, I had to figure out it was a nut, a nut off a tree. And I just, I saw the tradition. I saw the tradition. I got there and I was like, man, like this place is special. There's just a feeling about it. Coach Trussell was great. And then getting drafted, I mean, you're living your dream. And I honestly, I was, I look back and I'm like, dude, I was so naive. Like I had no plan B, Mac. Like I wasn't one of these five star kids who, like a lot of five stars going to college thinking I'll be in the league in three years. For me, I was like, I hope I, I hope I get on the field at Ohio State. Oh, I'm starting. Cool, great. This is awesome. <laughs> this is fun. Oh, got all American. Great. Oh, I mean, it didn't even occur to me until '07, my second year being all American, that I was going to have actually get a chance to play in the league. When they asked me if I wanted to declare, I'm like, oh my goodness. So you get to the NFL, you're living your dream, and you just keep the same the same work ethic, man. Today's preparation determines tomorrow's success. I was a little fired up when I first got drafted to the Rams because I know they wanted a uh, – I still remember one of the papers basically questioning whether I was the right pick or if they should have taken Ray Maluga and Ray was from USC. And just so when you're a competitor, you're like, oh, man, come on now. Like I can't have my home beat writers already questioning the pick. So <laughs> it, uh, you always find little edges to motivate yourself, right, to keep it going. And that's how I tried to do it for as long as I could. You know what, that that to me, I mean, that's just the essence of what you are. And, and can I just say this? I mean, this is, you're our guest, this is our podcast, but because of my history, you know who, you know who has told me the similar story? And this is God's honest truth, is Mike Singletary. He's a second round pick. Yeah. He was too short, right? He was too short. Yep. He was too this. He was too that. And when I sat across from him and he told me that story to my face, I went, now I get it. But see, that's – and again, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think people don't understand sometimes what the National Football League is about. They think it's all about uh, physical ability. And physical ability, you have to be physically able when you come into this league, but there's so much more to it. And that's why I say when I gravitated to you immediately because I knew. I've been around enough, and I, and I saw. Let me ask you this. Playing at Ohio State, I mean, and you, you're you're now you you are one of the legends at Ohio State. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. And uh, you know, even though you thought it was a nut on a tree, you know, all of a sudden now you're you know you you you're a guy that is always going to be associated with that. When did it start to flip for you that? And you've already said it some. I'm involved in a pretty big deal here. When did that start to flip for you? Oh man, I, so I didn't really feel like I could. You know, I wasn't confident in my ability to play at, at the D1 level until we played Texas in 2006. So, like, in 05 is my freshman year. That's when we have, you know, A.J. Hawk, Bobby Carpenter, Anthony Schlegel. And I knew about those guys coming in. What you don't know about when you're going through recruiting is, like, the backups who are, like, a couple classes ahead of you that were four and five stars. Like, like just because they never played college ball, they hadn't started yet. I didn't know about them, and I didn't follow recruiting back then, so I didn't really – 
care, but I'm, I'm like third on the depth chart my freshman year, just running down on kickoff, trying not to be the last one down the field. And then my buddy, who's now D coordinator for Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, tears his meniscus. And so he has to redshirt. And so now I'm back up. I'm thinking I'm redshirting. Nope, you're back up now. And so I'm back up to Bobby Carpenter. Bobby gets hurt first play at, at Michigan. So I go in play two. Now I'm in the big house looking around like, dang, man, that's my first time really playing meaningful snaps. And I'm just thinking, you know what, though? I'm prepared. Do what you're supposed to do and let the other 10, like do your 111th, right? Just do your 111th. Don't be the reason. Focus in and, and, and go out there and try to execute. I ended up starting the Fiesta Bowl. But even then, Mac, it was like 15 plays. We're playing Brady Quinn and Notre Dame. We're, we're in nickel the whole time, so I'm off the field. So it wasn't, you know, it's funny how Buckeye fans remember it. Like, oh, man, you balled out. I'm like, dude, I, I got like two tackles. I, like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like, but then the next year I'm thinking, okay, here's my time to start. It's 06, my sophomore year. I got moved to Mike. We go out, we play Northern Illinois week one. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Like, finally, my, you know, it's our time, right? And so Garrett Wolf, I don't know if you remember that name. From sure. Northern Illinois. Absolutely. Running back. Garrett ran for like 220 on us. And I'll never forget what Luke Fickle said to me. Like, he after the game, he was like, he said, James, I, I think we're, we're going to rotate you and Larry Grant. And Larry played for San Francisco for the mm-hmm. 49ers right. and with the Rams for a few. And so Larry, he goes, you and Larry are going to rotate against Texas. And I'm thinking, man. If I couldn't stop a running back from Northern Illinois, what am I going to do against? I think they had Selvin Young and Jamal Charles at Texas. And so we go down to Austin, one versus two, and we're supposed to rotate. I play the first series, and I go out there for the second series, and I force a fumble right on the two-yard line. And I, and after that game, I think I ended up with, uh, I think it was like 12 tackles, two forced fumbles, and an interception. And we won the game. And I remember at that moment, kind of being like you finally made some plays you know like you had played on the field but you finally made some plays and it gave me the confidence to be like no don't expect that stat line every week but if you can make tackles against texas you can make tackles against anybody and so it just really it gave me the confidence that i needed and i think that's a part of you know sports that doesn't get talked about even at the college level but even in the nfl like these rookies come in with so much hype and all that but until you watch yourself making plays at that next level it's hard to believe it Right. Like you can tell yourself, you can go out there, you got to be mentally tough. But once you see it happen, then you can start taking chances, start messing with your game a little bit. But it wasn't until 06 at Texas where I thought, okay, I can play at this level. As far as the NFL, that didn't happen until 07. And when I got All American the second time, I was like, oh man. And then you start looking at mock drafts, or not me, I'll put it this way. Your father, <laughs> my dad, <laughs> dad starts sending me mock drafts and say, hey, should we think about leaving? That's when I was like, oh, my gosh, this is actually a reality kind of thing. So you have the mental toughness. You have the preparation. You have the physical abilities. But you're also a man of strong faith. How did that kind of color your experiences throughout playing football, both at the collegiate level and professionally? Gosh, it's, it came, first came to faith and a follower of Jesus my, my freshman year in high school with my father. We all got baptized at the same time. And like any young kid, right, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, what's that mean? And to be honest, when we first came to faith, it felt like almost a get out of hell free card. I think that was my theology at that time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so you live your life a certain way through high school. And when I got to college, I want to say my junior year, senior year, and, and I really leaned on it senior year because it was the first year that I had in school where we had three losses my senior year. I mean, we lost to a really good USC team on the road. We lost to Penn State at home. We lost to Texas in the Fiesta Bowl. And when you're going through that, it was the first time that I actually like 
we had lost to Florida before that, right? In 06. We lost to LSU in 07. But but those are our national championships. There's part of you that's like, hey, at least we got to the national title game. Like it stinks not to win it, but there's a hundred other teams that were watching that game, right? So but when you are going through that moment of senior year and the letdowns, and then the draft process strips you down so much, and you start to wonder, okay, okay you've reached a lot of your goals. You're going to play in the NFL. Like, is this all there is to life? And and you start really digging deep into the the real like the real issues, the things that really matter. And that goes even deeper when you have children. I mean, when I had London, and then you have Hayden, and then you know Remy. Like when, when I had London, that was the first time I thought about a post football kind of life. I had never thought about like how physical the game was. You just go out there and play ball. But when I had London, it was the first time where I, like, you look at her for the first time and you're like, man, I, I better be able to walk her down the aisle, you know? And that was the first time any of those thoughts crept in my mind. My faith has carried me through just to, to know that no matter what happened on football, the accomplishments or the downfalls, like that, that was not my identity. It doesn't mean you don't go out there and compete your butt off. You absolutely do. You compete harder. You compete harder because I think you have a freedom. There's a freedom in that, you know? So it's carried with me. I would like to think it's like a, an improving stock. You know, you start at a certain point, you have, you have growth and then setbacks and then growth and then setbacks. But I can promise you, I am, I'm a much better man today than I was five years ago and 10 years ago. And I hope to be even better, you know, five years from now, I think that we're always changing and I hope I'm going in the right trajectory. James, you know, when we first, uh, I was approached about doing this with, with Amy Wells and with Ashley Farrell, our producer, I said, I'm going to get some people that are going to be special that we're going to put on this. And you did not disappoint. You're one of the best. You know how much I care about you. You know what, what I've, I've come across some really, really great players, but even more, some great people. And you're right there. Thank you so much for this. This was outstanding. James. Absolutely, man. Anything for you, Mac. You know that, man. Well, uh, you know, it it bounces right back to you, brother. Hey, I can't wait to to be able to see your girls. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away, but hopefully if you're going to, you know, you've been here in Nashville before, and hopefully if you come back, you are one of the best, brother. Thank you so much. Oh, anytime, man. Nashville, I mean... Nashville's got a, a big look. That is that is a spot that I can never forget. It's we got friends there still. Special place. The Woodwick candles just really got me. I had three shells full of them. <laughs> it really just got me. That was not the direction. I don't think I've ever started any conversation with. I miss smelling your office. Well, it was. It's through- just. A lot. It was throughout. It was throughout the office. It was a gathering place up there, uh, you know, at, at at the at the Rams facility because I had a had a, a big nice corner office, and so I had three shelves I put up and just filled them with woodwick candles and would start would light them every every morning, and people would come down and see what was going on. And they said, "What is that?" And I said, "This are these." And they said, "Well, why do you have so many?" I said, "So you can take one. So take it." <laughs> Pretty soon it was burning all throughout the building, and James Laurinaitis he would come up he would come up every morning just to smell which candle was burning. It was great. <laughs> oh man, Mac, we got to talk about this a little bit because I'm fascinated by the whole process of moving a team and moving a team between two starkly different cities. We are about to go to Los Angeles, and I have said a million times 
I don't think I'm an LA kind of girl. I don't think I'm very Hollywood. Um, and so for you to take a team from St. Louis, Missouri, a place I've been, spent a lot of time in the Missouri area, and move them to Los Angeles, California. I'm assuming there were some cultural differences between the two places. It was a culture shock for a lot of our players. You know, of course, I've been in the league a long time. I've been out there, you know, so I was, I mean, I was fine. I liked it a lot. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, the first meeting we had at the Manhattan Beach Marriott where we brought all of our players, all their significant others, their wives, you know, and you know, just because, and we had, we had the league in there, we had the NFLPA there. We had a three-day meetings and, and, and putting up big PowerPoint presentations about, you know, you're coming to your you're Los Angeles Rams, but you're not going to live in L.A., you know, because our facilities are going to be in Thousand Oaks, and here's what it is, and here's the distance, but distance and drive time are completely different in L.A., and here's where you can live, here's where you can't live, here's what's going to have to happen. I mean, all of that stuff, and then, you know, when you get down to the minutiae of it, you know, when we're having the meetings, that, and oh, by the way, there's a 13.5% state tax out of every one of your checks. I mean, that got everybody's attention, yeah. you know, really big. It, it It's a different world out there, it really is, but I, I really liked it. But Jeff Fisher, you know, that we will have on one of these podcasts pretty soon yeah uh, jeff fisher who's you know who's going to go into the 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 ring of honor rightfully so here he's moved two franchises yeah he moved two franchises the only coach in the history of the national football league to have done that but uh it was a grind i can tell you because we were in four different places in eight months we moved the entire football operation four different spots and set up in eight months four different spots it was grueling it was grueling. It really was. And really set the table for what they have there now. I mean, logistically alone, just moving that many bodies and all the different pieces, parts that you need just to do any sort of job would be a lot, let alone a football team with equipment and medical supplies and just all of the tools that are required to have a successful team well amy we didn't have a facility and so we had to you know we we didn't have a facility when we first went out there so when we first went out there we were in oxnard and went to the facility that uh, the cowboys used for training camp we were there for four and a half months and then we go down to we go down to, to cal irvine and then and then we 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 come from we come from training camp we stayed had to stay the whole six weeks and then we had to move up uh to a, a temporary facility in uh you know in thousand oaks and you're moving everybody and everything and plus players have to get places to live and you got to bring i mean it it was amazing i mean it was it was like a military operation it really was and uh as i say it was it was a grind for that first year it took a lot out of the players took a lot out of the coaches but but the things that we did to set them up is why they're so successful right now because we brought some good players in there there's a lot of things about Hollywood and LA and when you think about that area one of the things that comes to mind right away is celebrities you know there's a lot of celebrities out there name me some of the names of people who were rolling around the Rams organization names people would know well I mean who do you who do you want to know you were there I wasn't there one of the best ones I really loved was Danny Trejo. You know when, when, when Machete came up. You know, I mean he's a big LA Rams fan. The first time I met him at practice, I was like, okay, Machete, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Plus he has he has a big he has a big taco truck franchise out there. Really. Uh, Trejo's tacos are absolutely they're great. One of the greatest dudes ever. I mean, and then you know you had LeBron James. You know was out there. The Rock was out there. You know. Uh, 
We had uh, Britney Spears was at practice with her two boys. I mean, just name them. I mean, they're all out there. That's that's what it is. It's L.A. It's crazy. It was great. Oh my gosh, I loved it. That's it's just like the most California thing. Like, and they just come through practice, like coming to watch. Sure. I had a I had a, a big condo up on the hill, about eight tenths of a mile from the facility there in Thousand Oaks, and all I did I had a beachcomber bike. I rode my beachcomber bike and my UFOs to practice and back every day. That's how I got to practice. Back. L.A. That's so L.A. It was L.A. I love it. I did too. Yeah. It was fun. I normally like everywhere I am though. So. What's the most Hollywood thing you were ever a part of out there? Did you go to like events? We had things? we had the draft at LA Live. We went to LA Live for a week. We had the draft at LA Live for a week when we traded, you know, to 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 get a quarterback with our number one traded with the Titans. Yeah. Number one pick and and uh you know, we we held off in announcing that. Uh Oh my gosh, I forgot about this. Yeah. Because of Kobe Bryant's last we, game. Kobe Bryant's last game. Out of game. respect. No, no, we did. And when we said, okay, look, we're, we're not going to announce. And John Robinson agreed. He said, I understand that. So we all agreed that we would hold off until Kobe had played his last game in, in his retirement. Mac, I forgot that you were on the other side of that because here in Nashville, mm-hmm. I'm dying inside because I know this trade is going to happen. I have been brought into the inner circle, right. which never happens for me. But John Robinson was so great about making sure that we were prepared for what was going to happen. Sure. And we could get all of our interviews and different things put together. Because John so, Robinson is very cool. Because John Robinson is great. And we were able to know that this was coming about 12 hours before it actually happened. So we do everything we need to do. Mac, I was so afraid that someone was going to find out and it was going to leak before both teams had agreed to announce it. Mac, I wouldn't send an email about anything. I turned off my cell phone. I went in my house and weirdly like closed all my shutters like someone was going to look in and like read my mind. I was so terrified that I would somehow be the one that broke the code and ruined it. I love that you were on the other side well, of that the exchange. Other side of, I was on the other side of it. We went to dinner at Nobu in Malibu, and I was just chilling. So I'm, I'm losing I, my I'm, mind. Yeah, You're I'm, eating delicious sushi. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was eating sushi at Nobu in Malibu while you were having a lot of angst and pulling your shades in your house. I was locked in my house like someone was coming to get me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot. That's the yin and the yang of the National Football League. Oh, my gosh. That's the yin and the yang of you and me. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> It seems to me that people in California love Nashville. Why is that? Well, it, this is a great place to live. I mean, seriously. First of all, there's no 13.5% That's true. state tax on top of what you do. But, I mean, you could LA, – L.A. has a lot of pluses to it, but there's a lot of minuses to it too. And, and, and overcrowding and traffic and, and real, real smog problems and uh, real problems, you know – when it rains out there and you've had the fires and then you have the mudslides and you get the Santa Ana winds in the spring and there's a lot to it. And plus, I mean, when you want to go 12 miles, it takes you two and a half hours. There's a lot to it uh, that is also on the negative side. Nashville, Nash Vegas, I mean, of all the places I've lived in this league, I've lived in some cool cities, had some cool places all over this country. Nashville is the best place to live that I've been in. I agree with that. But are you excited to go back to California? Uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been out there a lot. I mean, I, all I want to do is go in there and win a ball game and come home. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, not, it, I mean, it's not like I'm going to Disneyland. I'm going out there to call you a game. You could. Disneyland is out there. Well, I know right where it is. I, I got a cousin that works at Disneyland. I want to, I want to, I want to just go win a ball game. Oh my gosh. You guys, you write a whole script. You have a whole theme for a show. <laughs> Max returned to Los Angeles. Yeah. And he doesn't care. I just want to win the game. Well, Mac, don't get sacked by the high cost of health care. I can't even transition into it. Make Farm Bureau Health Plans your first line of protection. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. That's another reason I like Nashville because Farm Bureau Health Plans is in Columbia, Tennessee, and I can go down there. I've got Farm Bureau Health Plans covering me in every which way they can cover a human being. <laughs> and plus, I, just, I love the people down there. That's another reason I like Nashville and Tennessee. Well, I, and I'm glad. You know, I'm really happy that you like it here because we like having you here. Okay, thank you. That's a plus. I'd feel bad if you didn't. No, you wouldn't. Do you have anything else to add about this game, Mac? How are you feeling? Well, let's just go out there and roll it out there and see what happens, just kind of like we have been. We've kind of just been rolling the ball out and say let's play this year, so that's what we'll do Sunday night. I like it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast. We're going to Hollywood. Max not excited. I'm going to try to assimilate with the people there, and uh, we'll let you know how it goes on the other side. There it is. For Coach Mac, I'm Titans Amy. Thank you for listening to the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast. <laughs>